You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. If you're a baseball fan, could there be any better job than to be a curator at the National Baseball Hall of Fame? You get to walk around the exhibits whenever you want and soak up different pieces of history every day. Of course, if you're an expert at the level of today's guest, you might have a hard time learning something new every day. Tom Schieber is the senior curator for the museum in Cooperstown, New York, and he's been with the hall since 1998. An expert in 19th century baseball, among many other areas, he is responsible for locating and correctly identifying the oldest team photograph, that of the ninth, uh, ninth, excuse me, that of the 1855 New York Gotham Club. And this thing is really interesting. Tom is a one-time solar physicist at Mount Wilson, California. So Tom, welcome to Sports Connections. David, thank you. I'm very happy to be here. So I got to ask you right off, how do you go from being a solar physicist to being a curator at the Baseball Hall of Fame? Um, You get lucky. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's not like the uh, solar physics gig uh, prepared me for working at the Baseball Hall. I've been uh, interested in baseball history and baseball research since well before I thought I would ever get into solar physics, let let alone any other field. Um, But uh, there's not a lot of jobs in when it comes to baseball history. And um, so I had a knack for uh, uh, science and and physics and astrophysics uh, specifically. So out of college, um, uh, I uh, went ahead and started working at uh, Mount Wilson Observatory in Southern California, but I never gave up my interest in baseball history. And uh, eventually, um, there's a job opening. Excuse me, a job opening at the Hall of Fame, and uh, I was able to take advantage of that. Good luck. Now, you were working with Society for American Baseball Research, Saber. Uh, you were working on kind of on a, as a side gig, even when you were at Mount Wilson, weren't you? Yeah. So that's a, that's a volunteer organization. So I was not so much working with them as I was uh, doing baseball research, and yeah. I was. Uh, you know, doing my my history thing, um, and I joined Saber in 1981 after uh, the organization just celebrated a couple of well, I want to say just a couple of weeks ago, maybe even not in that um, uh, its 50th anniversary. So it was founded in 1971, and I've been a member starting in 1981. Okay, um, why are you so intrigued by baseball history? Uh, that's a question for which I have no answer. I mean, <laughs> I I got to say, um, and it's not a matter of just liking baseball. I do like baseball a lot, um, but um, baseball history is a special little wing of liking baseball. And uh, I have no problem with people who are not interested in baseball history and they just like the game. That's great. Uh, I guess I have a little problem with people who don't like baseball, but, <laughs> but um uh, I, the funny thing about it, David, is, you know, it, when I was in high school, I couldn't stand history. I was had no interest in it. It, it never excited me. It never engaged me. And even through college, I didn't take a single history course in college. Um, but I always did, uh, not always, but ever since I was a preteen, I did like baseball history. And so I'm sure it was the baseball part that sort of held my hand uh, that to sort of introduce me to um what I think is really fun it, it is history. So I'm, I'm much more interested in history now uh, and specifically baseball history. But um, 
just why is mystery? I'll tell you this, David. Uh, uh, I am not one of these people, and uh, which I think is the majority of baseball fans, who was introduced to the game through a family connection or uh, a particular close friend or something like that. Um, uh, I love my parents. Neither of them was particularly interested in baseball. My dad would watch a game here or there, but you could turn off the TV. That would be no problem. He wouldn't say, hey, what the heck are you doing? Um, my brothers didn't, weren't really particularly interested in any sports, let alone baseball. So why did I get the baseball bug? That that's uh, a bigger challenge than I think most people have when they when that question is asked. Because usually you can say, "Well, my dad passed it down to me, or my uncle, or whatever." And not so much. Yeah, I I joke with people that I could count to seven hundred and twenty when I started kindergarten because that's how many cards were in a baseball card set, and I had to be able to put them in order. So base baseball sports in general, baseball specifically has been a part of my life since as far back as I can remember. You didn't, you didn't have that, but you just kind of morphed into it really starting to like baseball history. Yeah. Now, now David, did you, were you stumped as to what came after 720? Were you just like completely dumped? It, 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 I wasn't stumped because you have to be, you have to care to be stumped. <laughs> um, no, it didn't matter. And I also say I learned to read by reading baseball cards and, right. and Ryan Lefevre, who's the Royals, uh, television voice, son yeah. of Jim Lefevre. Um, when I first met him back in 1999, I'd gotten to know him a little bit that first season. And we'd become friends, not close friends, but we'd become friends. And I walked up to him one day before the game and I said, hey, next time you talk to your dad, tell him thanks for me. And he's like, okay, why? And I said, well, he taught me how to read. He said, that's interesting. He didn't teach me how to read. He was <laughs> off managing and coaching and stuff. So I told him that I learned to read by reading baseball cards and I got stuck on Jim LaFibber. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. and he said, tell me about it. I was in third grade before I could spell it and pronounce it correctly. <laughs> and I said, when I got past the fact that not everything was phonetic, then that helped me in the process. And he goes, oh, okay, that makes sense. About three weeks later, he comes up to me, puts his arm around me and he goes, dad says you're welcome. So it really <laughs> was things, it was what was important to me. And beyond that, 721 didn't matter. It didn't bother me that I didn't know because it wasn't important. So uh, that's that little bit. That's too much about me. I want to talk about you. Uh, you have a personal blog about baseball research, and you sent me a list of some of the topics. And I want to just I want to read a couple of these because they're intriguing. Uh, a video clip of Lou Gehrig on the first day of his consecutive games played streak discovering what appears to be the first bunt in baseball history and a 19th century performance enhancing drug. And there's, there's a lot more than that. What are some of your favorite posts on your, on your blog? Well, um, those are some good ones. I enjoyed those. Uh, the, uh, the, real quickly, the idea of the blog, and it's, it's if you go to baseballresearcher.blogspot.com, so it's one word, baseballresearcher.blogspot.com, if you go there, um, what I'm going to do is sort of uh, hopefully weave a fun and engaging story about some baseball research that I did and kind of take you to hold your hand as I, I walk you through the research that I did. So it's not just the result. It's not just to say this, right. is, this picture it has this guy in it or um, I found this out uh, about you know this team. It talks about the process of doing the research. And I, I hope that's kind of fun. Yeah. That, oh, how did you figure this out? Well, here are the steps that I took and here's some missteps that I took. Plus research is full of going down the wrong road. Yeah. And, uh, 
and to sort of the, the more wacky that research can be, the more I like it. Sometimes it gets to be pretty obvious. Well, I looked this guy up in on Baseball Reference, and I found out uh, he was born in this town, and here's another guy born in the town. It's like, you know, that's pretty straightforward. There's not, not a lot of fun to that, I don't think. But the more uh, wacky the subject or the more uh, um, surprising the clue was that really hooked hooked me to the answer, uh, the better. I think that's just kind of, it's kind of surprising and fun. Um, I'll tell you, David, the one that has really got me, uh, that's sort of my holy grail, uh, is one that uh, I, I hope people will read, but it doesn't have a happy ending, which is usually, I've got it all figured out, and here's the answer, here's how I figured out. Right. Um, and, and that is about um, uh, a uh, uh, instance of baseball in the famous uh, film noir classic, The Maltese Falcon from 1941. Uh, and um, the idea is that it was not mine. It was actually posed by a really well-renowned baseball researcher, uh, a guy named uh, Professor Jules Tigell, who wrote a great book, sort of a, a seminal book about Jackie Robinson. Uh, but he has a, had a broad uh, interest in baseball and he was watching The Maltese Falcon. And he noticed that at one point in the movie, have you ever seen the movie, David? No, no, okay. I haven't. Well, after the pod, we'll finish the podcast and then you've got your homework. There but, we go. but um, it's a great movie. And uh, partway through the movie, there's a scene in a lobby of a, of a hotel and Humphrey Bogart walks up to a guy who's sort of a gunsel. He's kind of a thug, you know, he's carrying weapons, clearly he's <clears throat> up to no good. And that guy uh, um, who uh, is the gunsel has a newspaper. And at one point he's looking, so he's looking at the newspaper and at one point the newspaper itself just takes up the entire screen. I mean, it's like really uh, literally in your face um, and darn if there isn't a picture, it's, it, it's a sports section that you're seeing. He's reading in some other section, but we're seeing the sports section. And there's a big picture of a play at the plate, a catcher and a guy sliding in. And Jules asks, and this is, uh, I wanna say at least 20 years ago. I, I, I can't remember the date, but it's in the blog. He posted to a, a, a list serve for Sabre members. Anybody know who's the catcher in this thing? I mean, that's that's you know really wacky question. Yeah. So uh, I had actually forgotten about it, but but many years later, and unfortunately, well after Jules passed away, and that's a real regret of mine. Um, I I managed to get some threads of research done. I could sort of you, you, you find a thread that seems fruitful and you, uh, and you start pulling at it, see where it takes you. And I was able to figure out a lot of things. And specifically, I was able to figure out the exact date of that newspaper and what the paper was. And then you think, well, then why don't you just go back to that date and that yeah. paper and look at the caption for the photo, right? I mean, it just seems like you're done, aren't you? I mean, yeah, you're the, you're 90% done. Yeah. I'm 90%, I'm like 99% done, right? But, uh, and I will not spoil the reason why, but um, there's a reason why you can't do that. So read the blog, watch the one, watch the movie, forget about the baseball part, you'll enjoy the movie. But read the blog and you'll see how I managed to win my way to figuring out what the paper was and the, and the exact date. And there's actually a, base, a baseball clue to that that's not in the picture. But uh, and another other a number of other sports clues, but then you also see why I ultimately hit a dead end, and I'm still working on it. So when I get that one figured out, I think I'm out of here. I think I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> but I, so I do I do a lot of different wacky uh, bits of baseball research that I really hope people find fun 
you don't have to be a researcher yourself right. to, to read it and hopefully uh, engage with it. So you, you probably identify with W.P. Kinsella, who discovered Moonlight Graham in the movie Field of Dreams. <laughs> well, he, he, uh, Moonlight Graham was known well before uh, Kinsella, but right. he decided to make him a big deal in, in his book. And then somebody else decided to make him a big deal in a movie based on his book. Yeah. Okay. Um, what does the role of senior curator at the Baseball Hall of Fame entail? Um, it's a, it has a lot of different things. So I can tell you the core concept, but as I think is the case with lots of jobs, you've got your your official job where you're, you know you can kind of describe it in, in maybe 50 to 100 words. And then you've got the stuff that you do, which often is very tangential. Yeah. Uh, so as a curator, so, so first of all, senior curator means I head up the curatorial department. I am a curator, but I head up the department. Uh, so we have other curators here as well. And, and real quickly, the core concept behind being a curator is really, to make it very simple, is to be a storyteller. Um, now, there's lots of different ways to be a storyteller. So you can be a storyteller, uh, a novelist is a storyteller, and they have a certain shtick, and that is words on paper, hopefully published, right? And then also you've got, uh, you know, uh, movie makers who are storytellers, and they do it a certain way. They shoot film. And they hopefully get that, you know, they edit it down and they hopefully get that screen somewhere. Um, so there's, there are certain, uh, I don't want to say rules, but certain guidelines, there's certain different ways to right. tell stories. Uh, and, you know, your Uncle Bob who comes over Thanksgiving, he's a storyteller. He sits in front of the fire and he smokes a cigar and he tells story. That's another storytelling thing, right? So my job as a storyteller uh, is I actually use film or I use words like a, a movie maker or a, or a novelist. Um, but the, the sort of shtick that happens uh, the way I tell stories is through exhibits. And exhibits, um, what, what we call interpretive exhibits, are stories that we're telling and we use objects to help tell those stories. So it's through a pine tar, a laden bat that we might tell a story. Hmm, I wonder what that story might be. Or through a jersey or um, an award, or sometimes very surprising objects that you wouldn't even think have to do with baseball. So, um, but the core concept is telling stories through objects that are special because they were there then when this interesting thing happened. Um, if it turns out that when I'm working on an exhibit and I find that it's really a lot of words and I don't really have a lot of objects, you know what, maybe the better form of storytelling would be an article versus an exhibit, right? Uh, so you need to do it for when it's, you do create an exhibit because that's a good way to tell the story. There's lots of great stories that are not told through exhibits and would be probably poorly told through exhibits. So um, I, get it, I get that a lot. Why don't you do an exhibit about this? Well, sometimes it's not really well uh, served to do that through an exhibit. So that's, that's what I do. If anybody ever asks you about the details of the Pine Tar game, call me up because I think I'm one of about five people in Kansas City right now who were at the Pine Tar game in New York. <laughs> it was my wife's birthday in 1983. And in April or May that year, I said, what do you want to do for your birthday? And she said, let's see who the Yankees are playing. And my first reaction was, who are you and what have you done with my wife? <laughs> and, and so we looked it up and they're playing the Royals. We're both from Kansas City. And so we went to the game and I'm sitting next to Gaylord Perry's uncle. 
And I remember that because I got my tickets through my uncles who were who were agents at the time and they represented Gaylord Perry. So that's how we happened to sit next to him. Uh, uh, drawn a blank on it. Pat Sheridan, Royal substitute backup center fielder who came in because Willie Wilson got her made the second out in the top of the ninth inning. He starts to collect his stuff and leave. And I said, where are you going? He goes, game's over. I'm going to try and beat the crowd. I said, don't go anywhere. UL Washington is going to get a base hit. They're going to bring in Gossage and Brett's going to hit a home run. And he sat back <laughs> down and, and, you know, UL Washington gets a base hit. Billy comes out of the dugout, points to the bullpen. I said, see, he goes, that was the easy part. Well, if you remember, George Brett hit the first pitch out of the bar park, but foul. Oh. And he looks over at me and I said, hey, in my premonition, that one looked fair. And then he takes a ball and then he hits one out. And as he's rounding third base and that, that place is quiet, my wife said, what's Billy Martin doing? I said, oh, he's going to complain. That's what Billy Martin does. She said, well, he's grabbing the bat. What's he going to complain about? I said, well, he's probably going to say George has, you know, corks his bat. She said, does he? I said, no. And then he lay, they lay the bat over home plate. I said, now what's he complaining about? And, and, and I said, well, they're probably saying he's got too much pine tar. And she said, does he? And I said, yeah, probably. And she said, what happens if the ump agrees? And literally, as I say, watch out, McClellan points to the dugout, gives him the thumb sign, you're out of here. And that stadium shook. So that's my experience. I've shared that with George a few times. And, and uh, it's, it's a fun story. I've got a list of the, the top 10 sporting events I've been to in person. And that's, that's number one. So, yeah. The, yeah. But now of course you've only been to part of that game. Did you That's right. I, we did not, we did not <laughs> go back for the conclusion when Ron Guidry was playing center field. And I can't remember some, some other left left-hander was playing second base and, and Billy Martin comes out and before the game resumes and appeals at every base and the and the crew chief come pulls out an affidavit from the three base umpires yeah. saying they just anticipated that Billy would they knew what was coming and it said yeah he did he did touch all the bases so no yeah. I didn't go to yeah. that but I was there on July 24th in 1983 in fact my my wife was pregnant with our our first child and our son likes to say he was at the pine tar game but he doesn't remember much about <laughs> it so. all right you, you mentioned to me when we were talking that you don't have favorite exhibits because there's just too many. Are you allowed to have favorite Hall of Fame players? Uh, I'm a, well, sure, I'm allowed to. I, I, uh, um, I mean, just as an FYI, I, I'm born and raised in St. Louis, so I'm on the other side of the state, and uh, I was. And um, so I grew up uh, reaching baseball consciousness in the mid to early 70s is, is my wheelhouse there, right? Yeah. And uh, so not a great time in Cardinal history, really. I mean, it's fine, but it wasn't, it wasn't like we were burning up the league. Um, but, um, you know, I grew up, there was nobody bigger than Lou Brock. Yeah. And so Lou Brock was a hero. And the other guy that was a hero, quite frankly, is Ted Simmons, who's getting into the Hall of Fame, um, you know, uh, I guess after yeah, tomorrow, tomorrow, as far yeah. as, as we're airing. And, and, Simba. Uh, uh, and uh, I loved, as a little leaguer, I was a catcher. I love being a catcher because you got to wear all this cool gear. I mean, how cool was that? <laughs> right. I mean, it's just, there's nothing cooler. I mean, I'm sure my parents weren't happy about it because they had to buy all the cool gear, which yeah. wasn't inexpensive, but it's actually the best thing you can possibly do. If you're a kid, uh, be, to be a catcher because you're, you're in on the action the entire time and you're, and you, you, if either you're, uh, 
you learn to not be afraid of the ball or you get out of the game quick. Yeah. And so I was never afraid of the ball, luckily. And um, so I loved it. But who's was, who's was the catcher I looked up to it was our catcher, Ted Simmons. So yeah. Um, so those are the big two for me as a kid growing up in St. Louis. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not putting in exhibits, uh, uh, little things just for me. I'm 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 being objective, but yeah, I'm, I'm still a baseball fan. I still root for the Cardinals, and it's uh, you know, and they're for the last couple of years have been basically a 500 ball club. I don't know what's going on, but yeah, but that's got to be special for you. And we'll, we'll talk more about uh, what's coming up tomorrow here in a second, but it's got to be special for you to, uh, to have Ted Simmons uh, being put into the hall of fame. Um, now you talk about being a storyteller. Uh, our friend Negro leagues, baseball museum, Bob Kendrick museum president, Bob Kendrick has to be the best storyteller around. I, I'm sure you've, you've been entertained more than once um, uh, by some of Bob's stories. And he once told me that baseball is different from any other sport in that you have your, and whoever your favorite player is growing up remains your favorite player when you're an adult. You think that's true? Uh, well, um, all respect to Bob Kendrick, who I think is a great guy, but not necessarily. I mean, I, 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 in a couple of ways, I, I think uh, your favorite player growing up can, can you can change that yeah. um i i'm not sure why it would be unique to baseball i think there's uh people who might have a favorite player in hockey and they just and they still are like you know as an adult they're still a body or fan or whatever um you know i think a lot of times uh and and listen i'd love to have this uh, discussion with bob that would be great i think a lot of times uh, people do look to baseball Perhaps they, people who are fans of other sports do this with their sport and say, here's where my sport is unlike any other sport. And almost always you can say, yeah, that's not really true. You know, oh, baseball is great because it's uh, uh, the only sport where um, the team controlling the ball is on defense. Ah, you know, it's like, yeah, no, that's not cricket does that as well. You know, so that's just because maybe you don't know very much about cricket doesn't mean it's not a sport, you know, uh, yeah. you know, you can come up with these things. I don't think I really kind of uh, hesitate. And I try never to fall into the trap of saying, here's why baseball is different or more special or whatever. I don't think I need to make, come up with a superlative to try to justify a love for a game because yeah. I do have that. And, um, and, and just like I don't necessarily, I can't always explain why I love certain things. You just sort of suddenly wake up one day and realize, man, I love this, right? Yeah. And I'm just happy as a clam, not, not worrying about why. Yeah. Uh, I just like to wallow in it and enjoy it. And it does nothing for me to try and figure out why it's special or how it's different or uh, um, why it's better. Yeah. I think it's a I dangerous game. <laughs> um, I've, I've thought about that through the years since Bob told me that. And I think maybe it's because, and maybe not so much with, with the young kids today, but when you and I were growing up, I'm probably a couple of years older than you, but when we were growing up, most of us got introduced to sports through baseball. It was absolutely the national pastime, absolutely the most popular sport. So that first love, you know, mine was Hank Aaron. Uh, I remember That's a good uh, one. In, in the sixties, <laughs> you know, everybody was excited about Willie Mays. And I thought, well, Hank Aaron's just as good, but he, he wasn't the, the popular guy with the press. 
And so he didn't get the publicity. And I felt sorry for him. I thought nobody's a fan of Hank Aaron. Little did I know there were <laughs> millions of people who were fans of Hank Aaron. But I started rooting for him. And I remember I was I was working in my in my home office the day he died. And my mom called me and she said, I, I, I wanted you to know that Hank Aaron died. And I literally sat here at my desk and cried. And I had had the opportunity to meet him, to inter- interview him. And he was he was very cordial, very polite, but he wasn't bubbly like some of the other guys. But I had there's a deep thing. And I still get choked up when I think about, you know, following Hank Aaron. So, you know, I was a, I grew up a Chiefs fan and I was a big Len Dawson fan. But there wasn't that first love, if you can describe it, that uh, first love type of thing with football like there was with baseball. So maybe that's maybe that's what it is for for our generation. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there are people who their first love is football, their first love yeah. is basketball, their first love is tiddlywinks. Um, <laughs> and uh, but I am with you in that. Um, as a kid, I didn't I didn't really pay attention to other sports very much. Uh, there, you know, the St. Louis, the spirit of St. Louis, and the, the ABA that was they're gone. Yeah. We didn't have a basketball team. Uh, hockey team was actually pretty good, but I wasn't. For whatever reason, it just didn't engage with me. Yeah. And um, the football Cardinals, um, uh, you know, they're okay. The cardiac cards with uh, Don Coriel and the, and the crew, um, that was fine. But um, I don't know why. I don't know why it really didn't um, yeah. uh, grab hold of me. But as I mentioned, not, I don't really worry about that. I'm yeah. just glad that I, that I found baseball and baseball found me. I'll tell you that. All right. Speaking of Bob Kendrick, uh, obviously today I'm wearing my Monarchs jersey. Yeah. How, how much fun have you had adding to the Hall's collection of mem- memorabilia from the Negro Leagues? Obviously, this past offseason, it was announced that Negro League stats would be counted as official Major League stats. And I'm sure that has enhanced what the what the Hall of Fame does recognizing the Negro Leagues. How much fun has that been? Well, it's uh the, the story of the Negro Leagues is, is an incredibly cool story. Yeah. Uh, even better, I think, is the entire swath of, of talking about the uh, of all of black baseball, which is the Negro Leagues is just a, a subset of. Right. Um, so uh, we're, uh, you know, we are constantly delving into that that topic. Obviously, it's been in the, in the news a little bit more since the announcement by Major League Baseball that they were going to recognize uh, a certain subset of Negro Leagues, not all Negro Leagues, but a certain subset and a certain subset of years as major league. Um, uh, we agree with that decision. We don't just blindly follow major league baseball, but in this case, we do agree with the situation. Um, the Society for American Baseball Research also uh, um, uh, agrees with that that decision. Um, so I'm glad that there's not a controversy about that. Yeah. Um, but uh, in terms of collecting or telling stories, Quite frankly, uh, whether or not uh, these the statistics were uh, are recognized as major league, that's a non that's essentially a non factor in terms of our interest in telling these cool stories. Um, it actually uh, uh, presents a lot of challenges because those statistics are not as well nailed down as right. nationally American league ones. Which, by the way, they're not perfectly nailed down either. But yeah. they're a lot closer. Um, so there's challenges there. But, you know, we've had an exhibit about uh, for close to 25 years now. Uh, it was called Pride and Passion. 
It's now called Ideals and Injustices in our second floor of our museum. Well before the, these, these were recognized as major. And, uh, and we're gonna uh, you know, embark on uh, working on a new exhibit uh, about the black baseball experience. So, and those are all decisions that were made prior to, and therefore independent of um, Major League Baseball since December of 2020. My, my, favorite, my favorite quote about the Negro Leagues, I got to know Buck O'Neill pretty well uh, before he passed away. And great man. He, he great was, man. Oh, talk about storytellers. <laughs> he was an excellent one. But he, right. he, he would say, I, I heard him speak at various things. I used to work for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and I had him come and speak at our national office to people who, because we were literally across the street from the stadium, across the highway. But he said this, and I and I believe he meant it 100%. He said, don't pity me for not ever having the opportunity to play Major League Baseball. Pity the people who didn't get to watch me play because we were not allowed in Major League Baseball. First of all, a positive attitude, that, des that description was invented for Buck O'Neill. <laughs> but just it's such a cool thing that he didn't, he's not, he wasn't bitter about that. He was just sorry that more people didn't get to see it because of the injustice in our country. I couldn't agree more. Uh, and and uh, I'm sorry that uh, there aren't more objects through which to tell stories about uh, the Negro Leagues and, and Black baseball and uh, segregated baseball in, uh, in general, um, because there aren't. Uh, yeah. The Negro Leagues Museum has a wonderful collection. I was there. I visited with um, their curator, Ray Doswell, just uh, mm -hmm. whatever it was. We were out there a couple of weeks ago, uh, and he does a fantastic job. And the, the, the exhibits they do there are, are, are wonderful, and I encourage anyone uh, to make sure to, to take the trip there, whether you're in Kansas City or you need to come to Kansas City, right. you should check out this museum. Um, but uh, uh, the, the, there aren't a whole lot of objects still around. Um, and so that makes it a challenge to excite people by showing an object and saying, now let me tell you something about this. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we're up for the challenge. We're up for it and because the stories are great and um, our job is not to fret over the lack of, of objects. Our job is to be creative and uh, um, thoughtful in ways. Here's how we can still do our yeah. job of, of storytelling. And uh, we'll do that. Now, that's that's very similar. It, it's different enough, but it's similar to what Buck's saying. Don't worry about the stuff you can't control. Feel sorry for the things that, or let's look, let's look at ways to to use that. Uh, to make things better. Now, we talked about the fact that tomorrow, the class of 2020 and 2021 will be honored at the induction ceremony at the Hall of Fame, and that we had to record this ahead of time because you're going to be way too busy on that day. What will your day be like tomorrow? Okay, so induction day specifically? Yes. Uh, well, so what I do actually for um, what I'm still calling induction weekend because I don't want to reprogram my brain just for this one <laughs> yeah. summer, right? Uh, so I'm still calling it induction weekend. Um, uh, I'm in charge of um, VIP tours. So we give tours, uh, special tours to special people uh, right. who come out for the induction. Um, and that's done over a number of days. 
uh, that will be um, scaled back to an extent. A lot of things are scaled back for this induction ceremony, uh, but uh, we'll still be doing some tours and I will be doing those. And specifically on induction day, uh, that morning, I will continue to give tours uh, along with the rest of my team. Uh, it's, it's actually a number of us that are doing, uh, doing tours. And, uh, and then right around uh, midday, I walk over to the induction site with thousands and thousands of other people. Um, and uh, I get ready to do um, the, the minimal jobs that I do. We all, everybody at the Hall of Fame takes on other roles right. throughout the weekend, as well as specifically at uh, on the induction day, where some of them are, the roles are not at the induction site. Other people do have roles at the induction site. So I help out um, a bit with the uh, with um, the plaques, and I also help out a little bit with our photographer to help him with his ladder that he needs to use. It's actually pretty straightforward, simple stuff, um, but uh, uh, that's what I I do uh, on induction day. So you've been there for a number of years. This will probably be your if I if I was an English major, but I, I try and do math every once in a while. <laughs> this will be your twenty fourth induction ceremony. So actually, yes, but I think you did your math wrong. So this is my 20th. Well, maybe I did my math wrong. Hold on, let's think here. Well, if we count tomorrow as Eight, two nine, for 20 zero, and 21. No, oh, so I'm sorry. I was doing my math wrong. At, at, um, so it would be my 24th induction ceremony in a row. However, David, I did go to one previous induction ceremony before I started working here. That's what I was trying to trick you with, but I tricked myself because I'm not very good at math. How did I ever make a living in solar physics? I don't know. But anyway, uh, I actually was, uh, so my first induction is 1998. So this will be, yes, my 24th in a row, but I was at Hank Aaron's induction ceremony. Uh, and Frank Robinson's, yes. So, so uh, that was uh, one when I was much younger. Do you have a favorite of the induction ceremonies? Is there one? And maybe, maybe it's going to be tomorrow's with Ted Simmons. Well, maybe. I so so not having. Uh, so we'll count. We won't count tomorrow's because we don't know what's going to happen. Right. Um, I don't have a single favorite. I have little moments that I remember very well. Yeah. Um, I remember. Um, uh, Bill Masteroski getting choked up when he came to give his speech, and Bill is a wonderful, wonderful man, and, uh, and that was that was very moving. Um, I will say that uh, now, um, uh, Ricky Henderson's speech is one of my favorite speeches of all time, and if you uh, if you have not, if you don't recall what occurred. He uh, he worked very hard in the speech. He did a great job. And I encourage people who may not know what happened to watch the entire speech. Don't worry. It's not going to take up your entire life to watch it. It didn't go on and on and on. But wait for the end. The end is absolutely critical. Now, you have to know your Ricky Henderson history. And that is specifically, you have to know that when he passed Lou Brock for most career stolen bases, he gave a speech on the field after lifting up. Right. I think it was third base. Right. Right. And um, so so here's what you need to do. Watch that on YouTube. Watch the speech that he gave when he passed Lou Brock, Lou Brock for most career stolen bases. Then watch his induction speech for many, many years later. And uh, he's going to do a, a, what is a great setup job for an incredible ending to a speech. So I will leave it at that. There we I don't want to spoil it. 
because I won't do a good very job of I won't do a good job of it anyway. So that's very memorable as well. There's a, there's a number of other ones as well, but uh, those are some ones that I really remember. I know you said you don't have favorite parts of the Hall of Fame, so I'm not going to ask you that question again. But do you does it ever get old to walk through those halls? Uh, when it does, I'll be out of here. You know, I mean, uh, um, I love it. I'm I'm thankful every day I get to work with the people I work with work in the, in the field that I work with, work in and work with this collection. That's a stunning collection of objects and documents and books and photographs and you name, you name it. Um, but it does, it, it doesn't, it doesn't get old. I mean, to some extent it's already old. I mean, that's the idea. It's a museum, but, <laughs> but uh, um, it, it's no. And, and that's why, that's why I know this is the right job for me. Um, you know, you got to find a work your hardest to find a job that you love where it's not really a job, right? I mean, you've heard it a million times, but it's true. Um, because let's face it, no matter what job you're in, I'm convinced of this, you're going to have bad days. There's going to be things where things don't go well, or you get upset about something, or you're frustrated or whatever. But if you're in a job that you love, at least you can sit back and you can go, okay, that wasn't a good day, but at least it's not a good day in baseball history. How bad of a day can it be dealing with baseball history? So you got to, if you can pull back and look at the big picture and be cool with it, then you're in the right place. And, um, and that's, that's where I'm at. All right. I'm going to skip a couple of questions that kind of took us down a negative path. And I, I just want to keep this very, very positive. So <laughs> okay. I want to, I want to look at this, talk about the town of Cooperstown. I, I actually, uh, went to the hall of fame a few years ago. Okay. It was actually 1972. Um, and ironically, your, I guess your father-in-law was the day he passed away. I was in Cooperstown. It was Easter Sunday in 1972 or no, your grand grandfather-in-law, Gil Hodges. My grandfather-in-law. Didn't you say your dad married his Gil Hodges daughter? Did I mess that no, up? That's, that's news to my mom. No, <laughs> sorry. Oh, you know what? I interviewed Tom Verducci earlier today, and he married his his dad married Gil Hodges. Oh, okay. I need to stop doing more than one of these interviews a day. So sorry <laughs> about that. But I, I was, can't believe I got upstaged by Tom Verducci. Come on, <laughs> come on, David. I worked with Tom when he was a cub reporter at Newsday. So, um, but anyway, I apologize for that. No one. worries. I, I think I think my editor is going to leave that faux pas in because I I, not, I don't do those very often. Anyway, I was in Cooperstown on Easter Sunday in 1972, <laughs> um, and it's still it's still one of those things where I can say that was one of the coolest things that that I've ever done. But the interesting thing is the town of Cooperstown, named after James Fenimore Cooper, the famous American uh, writer. There's a lot going on in Cooperstown. Become the Chamber of Commerce just for a second. Uh, why why should people come to Cooperstown in general? And then I'll I'll let you follow up with why should they go through the museum? Oh uh, sure. Well, the first I want to turn I want to turn tables a little bit here, David. I want to ask you a question. So you came here in '72. You obviously really enjoyed that visit. It's a, it, it certainly formed a a, um, a very visceral memory that you've got. Why have you not come back? Uh, in 1972, I lived in Monroe, New York, 
and which is near West Point. So it was about a three hour drive. And then we moved down to Long Island later that summer. And after I graduated from college in 81 and, and have lived in Kansas City pretty much nonstop. So it's a little bit longer drive from Kansas City to Cooperstown. I it's almost a- I almost made the road trip when George Brett was in there. I almost mm-hmm. made the road trip. I mean, I, I pulled every string I could find. Couldn't find enough strings to pull to get there for Hank Aaron's induction ceremony. I It's definitely on my bucket list to go back. The problem is my wife's not a big baseball fan. My kids are grown. They, they have families. They're not huge baseball fans. I probably just need to put it back up on the bucket list and get a group of guys and figure out a year to go for the induction ceremony and then and just make it happen. So well, I'll, t- I'll tell you a couple of things. So first of all, yeah, come out for an induction. That's great. But I will tell you this. That's uh, and, and come out for a, a um, if, if you come out for induction, it's going to be busy. Yeah. And so um, it's great for the induction. It's not as great to go to the museum because it's pretty packed. Right. I mean, I don't want to discourage you from coming out to the museum. Right. But if you want to do a museum visit, there's that you have the other 360 some odd days of the year uh, work out really well. Yeah. Um, I personally, I really think coming out in October is awesome because the crowds have died down. As, uh, kids are back in school. Um, the weather has not gotten uh, super cold. The leaves are turning. It's absolutely beautiful. And uh, you go to the museum. It's not it's not crowded. And when your day is done, you go grab a bite to eat and you hang out and watch postseason baseball. What is not to love about this experience, right? All right. So I'm making I'm making a note right now. <laughs> good. That's a good idea. You know, I, a lot of people talk about. Well, I got to make my my one pilgrimage to Cooper Center. I've got it's it's, uh, it's kind of like Mecca. You got to go there at least at least once. And 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 I really fight against that. I really think that people. Well, at least once is good, but I got to get there once. It's yeah. like yeah, you can't go there once. Um, it's. Uh, I think it's an experience that that you should do multiple times because um one most people that come to the museum are surprised at how much is here they they for whatever reason think it's a lot smaller um that's fine i mean uh, but once you get here it's actually generally a lot larger than you think yeah um there's a lot more to do and um additionally exhibits change i mean listen if you're last year in 72, it's, you, it's probably completely unrecognizable. So yeah. I, will, I will give you that. But, but even if you were here five years ago, 10 years ago, the exhibits have changed. Some of the things that haven't changed, but I think you'll enjoy seeing them again. I mean, so we had Pine Tar Bat on exhibit five years ago, and it's still on exhibit. You're going to visit that Pine Tar Bat, right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, just because it's a repeat doesn't mean it doesn't, it's not worth doing it again. Uh, just talk to Disneyland about that. Um, so, uh, and then there's new things all the time. I mean, we have new artifacts coming in. Um, and and, not, and when I say new, I mean new to the museum. It, some of them are for the 2021 season. Some of them are from the 19th century, but they're new to the museum. So um, I definitely think it's, it's worth multiple visits. Um, now, having said that, you said your wife is not particularly a baseball person. There's other things to do in Cooperstown besides the baseball shtick. So we have the Fenimore Art Museum, which is a world-class art museum that's just up the road. 
Um, there's uh, the, the Farmer's Museum, which is a recreation village from the mid 19th century. Very cool. And by the way, if you're a baseball fan, those are fun to go to as well. It's not like you. Oh, I'm not gonna yeah, see I, I skip those. <laughs> That's fine. But, I, I was 14 years old, so I, I skipped that. I was only interested in baseball. I was mad because we only got to go through it on two consecutive days and then head back home. So. Okay. Well, so you will come out. I think others will enjoy coming out. And, and don't think of it as just, well, one and done. Yeah. Especially another great reason to not think of one and done is if you think this is the, if you're in Cooperstown and you think this is my only time in Cooperstown, you're going to have this mindset of like, uh, yeah. you, you're going to be overly focused on, I got to pack this all in. You know what? Go at your own pace, knowing mm-hmm. full well that you can enjoy it however you want to enjoy it because you can come back. Yes, we're in upstate New York and it's not easy to get here. Just talk to Ted Simmons. But that doesn't mean it's not worth it. Yeah. It doesn't mean that he's not going to, well, I'm not going to come back. You know, uh, sometimes the things that are a little bit harder to get a hold of are worth it. And, um, and you know what? Honestly, it's not really that hard to get to. It's, yes, is it easier to get to New York City? It is certainly easier to do that. But once you're in New York City, you drive up to Cooperstown. How big of a deal is that? Yeah. And it's interesting as I hadn't really thought too much about it before getting ready for this interview and then talking to you today. The thing that I mean, I certainly was enamored by the the hall with all the plaques and it would be great to see that the four or five hundred, you know, however many that have been uh, added since you know 1972. The exhibit I remember the most was the section on baseball cards. And I told you how important baseball cards were to me, but I remember looking at those baseball cards and saying, Oh, I've got that one. I've got that. Oh, I really would like to get that one. And that's what captivated me at 14 years old, just looking, looking at that. And I'm sure, I mean, I've been to the Smithsonian and they say you could spend a minute at every exhibit, not take a break to eat or drink or sleep. and, And it would take you 10 years to get through there. I don't think it's quite as, as full, uh, you know, in your hall of fame, but it's, it probably could take you several days to get through and you'd still miss, you'd still miss something. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, it's, uh, there's a lot here <laughs> and it's a lot of great stuff too. And, and like I said, we're, we're always trying to, uh, to look at things anew and, uh, refresh exhibits, start, have brand new exhibits. Um, so, all right. Well, I will, I will wrap up with this, Tom. It's, it's been a pleasure to reconnect with you. I enjoyed meeting you when you were in Kansas City recently. And I will tell people who are listening to this two things. One, it's got to be on your bucket list, especially if you've never been or if you haven't been in 49 years. And two, don't get into a trivia, a baseball trivia contest with Tom Sheever. You will. Oh, no, that's that's a that's a breeze. You, you stumped me with a trivia question. You know what? Then you had like five coming back at me and I didn't get any of them. (laughs) Well, it's easy to to ask trivia questions. It's hard (laughs) to answer them. No, you know what? You know what? I'm not a good trivia guy because uh, it just doesn't, it doesn't. uh, The idea for my brain is not to try to memorize everything and have the answers. What I want to store in my brain is ways to figure out answers. That's what frustrates me is when I can't figure out the answer, then I get upset at myself. But if I don't know the the answer off the top of my head, I don't sweat it at all because I, I know that's, that's not what this head is good for. <laughs> all right. Well, Tom, thanks very much for joining us. I, and I, maybe we'll have you on, uh, you know, next spring or something as we're getting ready for the 2022 
induction. But thanks again for joining me. That sounds great. Next time, let's just shoot, shoot the breeze about baseball. Don't have to talk about anything else. Just be talk baseball. That sounds good. Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.